out the door with umbrellas. Um, y'all would turn in your Bibles or your phones, your tablet, your scroll to uh, Romans chapter 8. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. Bless her heart, right? <laughs> well, We're going to be be reading the first uh, 13 verses in Romans chapter 8 as we continue our series, Therefore. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He, con- he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however... Are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would speak as you do through your word. The 66 books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, are your revealed will to us uh, to show us who you are. And how we can know you, how we can be saved. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that uh, as we come to your word, we would be transformed, that we would be challenged, uh, that we would know you. And Lord, speak through, uh, through, speak through me, this broken vessel, this morning, um, that your word might be seen ever clearer. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're doing this series we're calling Therefore. And it's, it comes from, as you might have noticed, the third word, the, really the first word in the Greek language of, of this passage, therefore. And it's probably one of the heaviest therefores in the Bible because it, is a, it, it sets up one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And it's, it's really asking, okay, you, you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, now what? So therefore, what? What does it mean? What are the implications? What are the blessings? What are the joys? And what are the challenges for us as God's people? 
Um, and we said last week, it's, it's like unplanned benefits for many of us. We miss out on what the full joy of what it means to be in Christ, to be a Christian, and sometimes when we miss what's being said here in these passages. And so, um, uh, we, we are jumping in uh, and going to just chart through this chapter over the next uh, several more weeks or so on. Um, but as we get started, I want to just share with you all something that I did. That I got a, re- a surprising result. Um, one, one day, not too long ago, a few months ago, um, the, the, I think it was Watts, came running into the house wide-eyed and uh, kind of freaked out looking. And he said, Dad, there's a snake outside. And we find snakes on occasion, and, I, and I've coached them on what to do and what not to do with snakes. And one, number one is don't get near it. Number two, don't bother it. Number three, uh, you know, come tell me. And most of the time, it's been little milk snakes or, you know, black racers or those kind of things. Well, this day, I go around the, the corner, and I am face-to-face with a, of, of the baby diamondback rattlesnake. And I say baby, I mean, it, it was about this long, and he wasn't being real friendly, let's just put it that way. And so um, I did what I thought I should do, and I got a shovel, and I killed that snake, because I didn't know what else to do with it, to be honest with you. And so, but what, the mistake I made was, is I, um, I posted on Facebook, hey, and really it was for the benefit of my neighbors, hey guys. I, 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 there was a, a baby rattlesnake in my backyard. Just want y'all to be aware. Maybe where there's one, there's more, right? And the response I got, some of it was pretty typical. You know, like good job. You know, kill them all. You know, nuke them. And, but some of the people were like, "Oh, that poor little snake." And I just remember thinking, "What?" <laughs> I mean, I get it. I am all about preserving nature and conserving and all that kind of stuff. But when there's a deadly, violent rattlesnake in my yard, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to do with it. And I I was tempted to message back to some of these people who were like, poor little rattlesnake. I was tempted to to say, okay, next time I'm going to try to catch it and mail it to you. And you can have it. No, I'm not. I'm not going to try to catch it. But here's the thing. It just made me think of this as I was uh, thinking about this passage here. Because I think we can do something similar in our Christian walk. And, And because there is something deadly, horrifyingly deadly, that is present in the world and in our lives. That I think as Christians... Times we kind of go, oh, poor little snake. And we, we, we kind of begin to cozy up to of something that's very dangerous and very deadly. And it's what the Bible calls sin. And, and, it's, and I think sometimes we do this because of what Christ has done for us. Because, you know, we see in, in, in Romans chapter 5, it says where sin increases, grace abounds. And then here in, in chapter 8, it's there is no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ. And we get the idea, and we, we kind of get comfortable, and we say, hey, God forgives, right? No big deal. 
And we just don't make a big deal out of our sin and, and out of sin in our lives. And I think it's like making friends with a rattlesnake. Because what Paul's going to teach us here in this passage is that sin is deadly. Sin is dangerous. And so in this passage, we've seen that Paul has really laid out what it means to be in Christ. And we saw some really already just amazing truths. First of all, that there there is no condemnation in Christ. We are we are we stand before God fully acquitted and all the punishment that was due us is now on him. As as the illustration we gave was that you know we were guilty and we were taken out to the to the um the firing range, the execution range. And God loaded his gun bullet by bullet. Maybe put, put a bag over our head or whatever happens in that scenario. And we hear the shots go off. Every round goes off. And none of them hit us. They go into his son Jesus for us. And the, the cool thing about that illustration is, is now that gun is empty. There are no more bullets. They're gone. The, the magazine is empty all of those bullets, all of that that was aimed, should have been aimed at us is now aimed into his son, and now it's empty. There's no more bullets. He can't shoot you anymore. The wrath of God is satisfied in his son Jesus on your behalf. That's good news. And then we saw last week is that the role of the Holy Spirit then in, in our salvation is, is to come into us, unite us with Christ, apply that truth into our lives, and set us free so that we can live and know Him and be in, in relationship with Him. And then in that, it's easy for us to become dismissive or commonplace with sin in our lives. And Paul wants to make it really clear that we are no longer debtors to sin. We are no longer obligated. We are no longer uh, to be in, in, in uh, owing sin something. And so the main idea this morning, I want to catch y'all, is to get, for y'all to see this. It's genuine believers are now set free. We are set free from sin and death. We've seen that. Okay, but we're set free specifically from the deceiving nature of sin, the deadly nature of sin, and also to so that we can destroy the heart of sin. All right? Now, uh, Hector, I did pass over a passage there, okay? So first of all, we are set free from the deceiving nature of sin. Set free from the deceiving nature of sin. Um, you know, s- some snakes are big. So, for example, pull up the snake picture there for me. Some of y'all saw this on Facebook recently. And they... they uh, Surmise that this was a, a, at least a six-foot diamondback rattlesnake. So I'm glad this one was in my backyard because I wouldn't have been even getting near it, much less trying to kill it, right? But this one was six foot. I think a female pregnant with babies heading off to, to have her babies. Um, so, but some, some snakes are big, but some are not, right? Some snakes are small, like the... Uh, there's another snake common to our area. It's a little pygmy rattlesnake, a little pygmy viper. 
And they, they only get about, at most, a foot long. Have you all seen those? And they're just as deadly as this. And the same is true in terms of when we talk about sin, we normally think of sin as like big bad things that people do. We think of sin uh, as bad activities and, you know, things like Hitler might do or whatever. But Paul is using language here um, to make sure we don't minimize our view of sin. In other words, not just making sin some bad things that we would do. Because normally we think of sin, we think of like breaking the Ten Commandments or, or, or th- bad things that somebody might do, lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, all those things. And that normally when we think sin, that's exactly where our heads go. And, and there's not, that's not a problem. Those things are sin, but there's more to sin. There's more to the picture. And Paul wants to use language in this passage to make sure we don't minimize sin and thus fall into the trap of the deceiving nature of sin. And so he uses the phrase flesh and, and walking in the flesh. And so instead of, he doesn't use the, the phrase walking in sin, he uses the phrase walking in the flesh. So what does that mean? Of course, there's a lot of debate about it. There's debate about a lot of things in the Bible. But I, I would take it to mean... It's, it refers to an orientation, a lifestyle of, of living in our own strength and in opposition to God. It is, it is just an entire lifestyle of living just outside of God and, and, and living and orientating our lives without God. Now that can be some things that we would say, that's not that bad. It would be a lot of activities that would on the surface seem like really good things. It might even be, we'll see, is even religious activity. But, so he's saying, if you live in the flesh, you are living a life in an orientation apart from God. And so sin isn't just a bad behavior. We've said this a couple weeks ago. So sin, in, the, in, in its, at its heart, is autonomy from God and self-sufficiency. What do you mean by autonomy? And we all know autonomy. If you've had a little kid around, you know what autonomy is. It's when a little kid says, I love you, Mom or Dad, but I am not eating that broccoli. I know you say it's good for me, but it doesn't look good to me, and I am not going to eat it. And then the battle goes, right? Some of it gets thrown, or you find it later chewed up and spit out under the table. Whatever it is, we know what autonomy is. It says, you are not going to tell me what to do. I think I know better. Self-sufficiency... Y'all know what that is. It's, it's when we say, I can do this on my own. I can achieve everything I need, everything I want, everything in my life. I can achieve that in and of myself without you, God. And that is at the core and heart 
of this idea of flesh. That we would live in orientation away from and apart from God. And that self, that's you know, autonomy and self-sufficiency, then what happens is we begin to elevate other things, ourself and other things in this world, as more valuable than God. And that is what the Bible calls idolatry. Anytime we put anything in value or importance above and in front of God. Why is that a problem? Because God is the most valuable uh, being. He created us. He, we owe Him to make Him the most valuable. We are created to praise and glorify Him and make Him supreme. And instead, in our autonomy and self-sufficiency, we put other things first. Usually ourselves. And so, just to give you all another idea, looking at this, so, in the, in the scheme of things, outside of Christ, in the flesh, we're left with two options in terms of how we live our lives. Okay, two options. Basic options. Okay, one option is that I would live my life um, trying to please God. We call this religion. Right? And, I, so I, and I, did, I did this when I was growing up at times, not the whole time. I was pretty rebellious most of the time. But some of the times when I thought, okay, you know, this God thing is scary. Actually, I remember going to camp, uh, ten, I was 10 years old, and they sat us in front of a big fire, big bonfire, and said, if, if you don't, you know, believe in Jesus and start living a good life for Jesus, you're going to end up in a fire like that for eternity. And that scared the bejeebies out of me. And I said, okay, let's do it. And so I started living option one, which I am going to do my best to please God. And so I started trying. And some things I was good at, other things I was not. But here's the thing. If you attempt to live a life pleasing to God, you are going to utterly fail. And you say, God, Russell, that's really kind of harsh. No, no, it's not. Because number one, we're told that if, if we want to please God, we have to, to fulfill and live out every, every little part of what God would want for us. That's the one hard part about it. Secondly, we are to live that out with joy and, and, and love in our hearts. There was a group in, in the New Testament we run into, who's the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. They tried to live God's law. And they, they narrowed it down. And there was their 613 laws they identified in the Bible. And they began to live those out. And as they began to do that, they ran into Jesus. And Jesus criticized them. And says, you guys think you're living the law. But you're just living these external behaviors. And you're failing the whole other part of the law. It's not that you don't just kill people, but that you love them. It's not that you just tithe, but that you would be helpful to people that are hurting and need help. And so, it's not, not, and so what happens when we try to live this first mode is that if we try to live out the law, what ends up really happening is we pick the ones that we're good at and we minimize the ones that we're not. 
But the ones that we're good at, we start to look at other people and say, you know, you don't read your Bible. That, you don't, why don't you read your Bible? Or, you know, why, why, do you, why do you cuss? Why do you drink so much? Whatever. We, we look at things, and maybe in our lives we get, we're okay in that area, and we look at them and say, why aren't you there? And we become critical, judgmental, and unloving. Thus, breaking the very law we're trying to, to live. So that's option one. And we saw Paul in Romans chapter 7 struggling with that. He was, you know, wrestling with the, the fact that he, if part of him was trying to live out the law, but when he would, he just, you know, and it was just conflict, and then he just could not do it. I won't go there too much there, but. So, that's option number one. Option number two is to try to just do our own thing and please ourselves. So one is, okay, I'm going to be a goody-goody Christian. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's option one. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be a good Christian or a good whatever. And the other is, screw it. I'm just going to go do whatever I want to please me. And I'm going to have fun doing it. And let me tell you, I did this. I was the guinea pig for this. If y'all want to ask detailed questions about this. But in ninth grade, I was in ninth grade science class. And the, and the teacher was teaching us something I'd never heard before. It was the theory of evolution. And it was like a light bulb. If, there's, if evolution is true, or at least I want it to be, uh, then there's, I can say there's no God. And if there's no God, guess what? I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And so I actually created my own law. It was a very simple law. Don't hurt anybody. Don't hurt yourself. Well, in my pursuit of pleasure and whatever I wanted, I managed to break my own law. And all the things I had been chasing left me empty and wanting. And I, and I was, ended up just miserable and lonely and, and not knowing what to do. So there's option one and option two. And, and if you are outside of Christ, that's all you have. You have either religion or irreligion. You can take your pick. But the good news is that we are set free from the law, the power of sin and death. We are set free to that, to a third option. And Paul gives us that third option here. He said, if we are in Christ, we will by nature be people that walk according, not to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so if walking in the, in the flesh is walking in autonomy and self-sufficiency, walking in the Spirit, let's define it this way, walking according to the Spirit is living in obedience and humble reliance on God because of the Gospel. To, instead of living autonomy and, and in self-sufficiency, we live... And obedience and reliance. See the difference? It's just the opposite. It's easy. And so, in that, secondly, we are set free from the deadly nature of sin. We're set free from the path of the flesh, okay? Which Paul has already established up to this point multiple times. But in Romans 6.23, you've known, everybody's heard this verse. The wages of sin... Is death. So what, what sin earns is death. 
And, and, but, and so death, we, we see it laid out here before us as well, is the result of our autonomy and self-sufficiency. And that death is what results in the flesh. And so Paul here contrasts what it looks like in the results of living in the flesh versus living in the spirit. So we see those who live according to the flesh will die. Now, and, and he does mean physically die here, by the way. Because as a result of sin, physical death occurs. And it doesn't happen immediately, but it will happen. And everybody here, because of the results of sin, will die unless Jesus comes back. However, he says, because of the Spirit in us, we will physically live. Because of our union with Christ, we talked about this last week, we were united with his death, and we were also united with his life. So though our bodies will die, we will live. One day, we will be raised to life. But it also means spiritual death. Because we don't just physically die. When, when in the garden, when Adam and Eve rebelled and turned in their autonomy and self-sufficiency against God, he said, you will surely die. He meant physically, and it's also spiritually. Now, let's go back to the illustration I gave last week. Actually, excuse me, Jesus gave in John 15. He said, I am the, the vine, you are the branches. And that was an amazing illustration, is that before the fall, as human beings, we were connected spiritually to God. And that spiritual life gave life to our bodies. And had that spiritual connection remained, we would have lived forever with God because of His life giving power in us. But because we rebelled in autonomy and self-sufficiency, the branch was cut off. And what happens when you cut off a branch? It looks alive for a while, doesn't it? But eventually dies. It shrivels up and dies. And that's the picture we see here. Is that... Um, and if we walk according to the flesh, we will die. But he goes on and describes why that is. And he says that those who are in the flesh, he describes it as are hostile towards God. Like the old translation, and there's enmity, there's war with God. You, see, you look around and you wonder where people are. The basic assumption is they hate God. And before we come into Christ... We hated God. We hated the things of God. We hate that God would tell us to do something. We hated that He would want us to rely on Him. We hated it because it ran against our nature, which said, I, can, I make the rules, and I can make all this happen. And so there's hostility. And then, thirdly, we see that in the flesh, we cannot please God. In ourselves, we cannot please God. Why? Because if we're in Christ, we're hum- we, ob- we obey and we rely. And that is pleasing to God. And so Jesus died not just to uh, free us from the guilt and shame of the law, but also that as we live our lives in the Spirit, that the righteous requirements of the law would begin to li- be lived out in us. That as we walk in the Spirit, that the law, we would actually begin to submit ourselves to God's law and obey Him and rely upon Him. And so, Paul wants to make it overly clear that a believer must overcome sin 
or it will continue to do what it does best, kill. Now, this is, this is a place where some would say, see, you can lose your salvation. So if, you, if you're a Christian and you're not killing sin and sin is perpetuating in your life, you can lose your salvation. And some would say that. I would argue against that and I would say no. I would say that is a possibility. It is possible for people to, to continue in sin and die. It happens all the time. But if you are genuinely in the Spirit, we're going to say those who are in the Spirit belong to Christ. If you're in the Spirit, you will walk in the Spirit. Now, is it perfect every day? Do we stumble? Do we miss this whole thing a lot of times? Yes. But we will walk in the Spirit. Okay? Verses 12 and 13 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So, those of us in the Spirit are going to, we're going to not be debtors to sin. We're not going to belong to sin anymore. We are going to seek to live in obedience and humble reliance to God because of the gospel. All right? But, very often, we just like to sit in it. We, it's, we love to, to just wallow in our sin. Reminds me of a, a photo I heard, saw recently. You see the one of the kids? These are kids that um, are, are playing, or actually not playing, they're, they're working. And they are digging in the pollution, in the, the dirtiest river in the world, the Ganges River. And they're digging for uh, gold and other items that people may have sacrificed given uh, when their, their family members died or whatever. And, and this water is just full of every kind of pollutant you can imagine. It is just horrifying. And, and this is the picture Paul gives us, which is if we remain in the flesh and we continue on, what's going to happen to these kids? not going to be good right They're, they are not going to be pictures of good health let's just put it that way and you want to just tell these kids get out of there stop doing that it's going to kill you and that's what paul's saying here is that if we live according to the flesh you will die sin leads to spiritual and physical death it also lives, leads to all kinds of other behaviors and activities that destroy our lives. It leads to, to divorce. It leads to murder, violent crime. It leads to betrayal. It leads to all these things that the Bible begins to talk about in the, in the behavior realm of sin. It moves us in that direction. Therefore... The goal of our salvation isn't that we would just be forgiven and give a ticket to heaven, but that we would be set free to living in the Spirit. And so, last point is, we are set free then to destroy the heart of sin. There's a challenge here for us. There's a challenge and a, a, a directive in this passage that we would begin to put to death the deeds of the body. So if you would read with me um, in verse 13. 
it says, so brothers, we are not debtors to the shooting 12 and 13. Do we have that somewhere? Do you have? Yeah. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we do this? How do we begin to put to death the flesh that's still remnant in us and the deeds that come out of that? How do we do that? And Paul says, we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. So what, is, what does that mean? So we've already said, if, if the core of sin is autonomy and self-sufficiency, then to put to death the deeds of the body and not walk in the Spirit is the opposite of that. So how do we get there? And Romans 6.22 says, We have now been set free from sin and become slaves to God. And the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And so, we begin a process of reversing the autonomy and self-sufficiency. Now, Paul says another thing here. He says, we are no longer debtors to sin. Some translations put it, no longer under obligation. And I would, that term um, is, is just like if you were in debt. If you've ever been in debt, you know the slavery of that debt. And you are, you are controlled by your debtor. You can't go and be free to spend your money where you want. You're under constant obligation to make that minimum payment. Y'all know that just feels horrible. I mean, many of us are there now. And Paul's using that kind of language here. He's like, in Christ, we are not free. Why? We are free. Our debt is paid. We are set free from having those two options and only those two options. Did you hear that? We are now free to no longer just try to please God in a religious way. And we are free from just trying to make it and create it on our own. We are allowed now to step into something new. Something better. And so we have a new job. We are to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. So when you read this, at first glance, you might think, well, he's just saying exactly what uh, number one is, which is we just try hard to, to do better, try hard to be better, try hard to live more pleasing to God, read my Bible more, go to church more, do this or that more, whatever, you know, follow a new step program or whatever. And he's saying, no, by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. Well, how do we do that? Well, here's the, the truth that we've already seen. Okay? Because part of this is done for us. We are told in this passage that God sent us, you know, that the Spirit Himself comes into us, indwells us, and gives us spiritual life and spiritual power. So there's a sense in which, in order to reverse this, it's simply to turn to the Spirit. And to receive. So there's a passive part of this. And that makes sense, doesn't it? 
if our mode has been autonomy and self-sufficiency, what do we do with that? Part of that is to reject the autonomy and self-sufficiency and that we would turn in reliance upon the Spirit and say, God, I need your help in this. And the good news of the gospel is because of the guilt that is paid for, we can freely come into the presence of God now without shame, without guilt, without any fear that he would have any judgment or any punishment due us. And we can come into his presence for power and strength to move forward. But part of this is also our job. There is, it's not just a passive thing. We have to do the hard work of believing and trusting. We have to do the work of believing and trusting. And I think that is at the heart of killing sin, is that we would work our butts off to, to be steeped in and, and, and filled with the knowledge of the gospel. And that we would know it and, and trust it and believe it more all the time. So putting to death the deeds of the flesh begins with being steeped in the truths of the gospel. So think about it. It's really when we fail to believe the simple truths about God that we begin to revert to autonomy and self-sufficiency. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When we fail to believe just the simple truths about God and who He is and what He's done for us, we begin to try to do, you know, create our own law and, 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 and make our own way. So, for example, if you don't believe God is good, you don't believe He has your best in, your best in mind. And so we say, okay, I've got to come up with what I think is best. Or if we don't believe God is powerful enough, then we don't believe he can protect us and give us what we need. We don't pray because we don't think he can do it. Or third, thirdly, if God isn't gracious, he's not going to want to do it. So we can believe that God can do it. We can believe that God can do all these things. We can believe that God can heal cancer. But I don't want to pray because I don't know if he wants to. And then lastly, if we believe at its core God is demanding and fearful, then we perform. We do, try to do our best, try to do our own, so on. And those are just a few. The simple truths of God that if we fail to believe, we begin to go into autonomy and self-sufficiency. Now one of the, to give you an example, when I was growing up, you know, I had a great sense of abandonment. My dad ditched. And, and then also, I was facing abuse and other things in my life. And so I, I assumed that I was on my own and that I had to take care of myself. And that's what I did. It was these core beliefs that I was on my own and I'm just going to take care of myself. And it wasn't later until I came into the gospel, I realized that, no, I'm not on my own. God has never left me. And he, he loves me, sent his son to die for me. And I don't have to take care of myself. I don't have to fight for my own. He has given me all things in Christ. But moreover, when we live in the reality of the gospel, we are free to step into a vital, personal 
living relationship with Jesus himself. We come into a new relationship. And so our motivation changes. Think about it. Uh, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, British preacher, he used this illustration. We, we, when, when we do things wrong now, it was the difference between, so before we were in Christ, before it was as if we were going out and breaking the laws of the state. If you go out and break the laws of the state, what happens? The law comes after you. And they arrest you. And they, they try you. They convict you. And then they punish you. That's what happens in the laws of the state. And he says, now we have been freed from those laws. But now it's more like we, you do something harmful to your spouse or somebody you love. Think about the difference. It's still hurtful. It's still painful. But the motivation's different, right? It's, we don't fear jail, but we fear the broken relationship. It's even our motivation to why we would please and obey God changes. But, and so when we step into a living relationship with Jesus, our motivation changes, and we get power for transformation. Because he's God. So let me conclude by telling one last story real quick. Um, in 2009, there was a story of a woman whose, whose friend uh, owned a chimpanzee. And they, would, they just got all cozy and friendly with this chimpanzee. And it was, you know, just, oh, we love this thing or whatever. Until one day... 2009 this chimpanzee turned on them and horribly mauled this lady i don't know if y'all saw this story or not but i mean it was just horrifying she basically tore her face off in her hands and she had to have a face transplant i mean it, it was horrific and here's the thing um you know if you make friends with a wild animal it might turn on you. If you get cozy with snakes, it's going to do what snakes do eventually. Bite you. When we get cozy with sin, and we get comfortable with it, it's going to do what it does best. It kills. And so Paul is pleading with us that those of us in Christ, that we would be no longer under obligation to, to, to the flesh, but that we would, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. Because when we do that and we live in, those, in that way, we will live. J.C. Ryle said this, This might be on the screen. Sin will rarely present itself to us in its true color, saying, I am your deadly enemy and I want to ruin you forever in hell. Oh no, sin comes to us like Judas with a kiss, with an outstretched hand and flattering words. We're sitting, uh, I was at a renewal retreat recently. And uh, was a guy who had, had just had a failed ministry, and he was just sharing, you know, his heart or whatever. And then he had, we had, he had to get over to the next seat and say what Satan would say to him. And, you know, you can imagine what he said in this scenario was, uh, you know, you're a failure. Who are you to do, keep going in ministry? You're, you just stink. 
And then he had another guy come up and he shared just some in his ministry what was happening and so on and, and some of his struggles is whatever. And then he got into Satan's seat. And to my surprise, you know what he said? He said what he hears Satan saying is, you got this. You're awesome. You just keep doing your thing, man. You're awesome. You got it. In other words, not always, Satan sometimes comes against us saying, you suck. A lot of times he comes along and saying, you're awesome. You got this. Just keep going, doing what you're doing. Sin ain't a big deal. This ain't going to hurt you. He's a friendly little rattlesnake. You know, he's a chimpanzee. He's fuzzy and warm and looks like a human. So here, if you're not a believer, we would invite you to know Jesus. Because the beauty of the gospel is that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. That we might be freed from the demands of the law. That we might be made right with him. That we would no longer have to fear his judgment or punishment. And that he also gives us his spirit that we might live in vital relationship with him. And the way to get that is believing and trusting and receiving it. And for the rest of us as believers, the challenge is, are you putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? Are we living, are we walking and according to the Spirit? That's our challenge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you so much for the challenge that it presents to us as God's people. And so, Lord, I pray that we would... Um, recognize the deceiving nature of sin and how deadly it is and so therefore we would be killing sin as john owen said be killing sin or we will be killing you and so lord make this um our activity make this our our drive that we would be killing sin and living in the spirit we pray this in the name of jesus amen and so um as we uh, pass the plates, a couple of y'all help me with that, uh, our time of offering at the end of the service today, um, as we close out our final song, um, you know, if you, if you put your connection cards in there, this is also a time in our service when we give back to God a small portion of what He has so graciously uh, given us. And so if y'all would stand and sing in our last song together.